First of all, happy Mother's Day. If you brought your Bible, you can turn to Proverbs you can turn to Proverbs 31. And Proverbs 31 says Proverbs 31 verses 28 to 31 says, "Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all." Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gate. That's my daughter and I'm proud of her. (laughs) Along with my other kids. Thanks, Addie, for reading today. They were here for the first service, too, so they're out of here. So, um, okay, in case you haven't figured out, by 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, today is Mother's Day. I hope this isn't a surprise to anybody. Um, But uh, today is Mother's Day. I want to recognize that and just say Happy Mother's Day uh, to the moms who are here. Um, I also just want to say a word of thank you to those of you who have gone through this roller coaster week with us. Uh, We were hoping to be outside. We were hoping for wonderful weather, and then the weather forecast told us the weather was going to be terrible, and then look what happened. I am so mad, but thank you for being here, and thank you for going on this journey with us. Um, uh, Today, we are going to keep your Bible open in Proverbs 31. We are going to talk a little bit um, about this passage of Scripture and some of what it says about moms and women. Of course, our experiences with motherhood can vary widely, making Mother's Day a day with a wide range of emotions. Some moms absolutely love motherhood, and some moms find motherhood to be really, really, really hard. And often it's kind of a little bit of both mingled together at any given time, right? Some moms are in that phase of motherhood that just means a lot of diapers and not a lot of sleep. And the grandmas in your life tell you the days are long, but the years are short, but you're not buying it yet. (laughs) Some moms are tirelessly investing in conversations with teenagers that go past midnight. Some moms are making that transition into the years when you wish you had a teenager to talk with late at night. Some moms are watching their kids grow up and live their own lives, sometimes making choices you cheer for and sometimes making choices you wouldn't make if you could make choices for them. Some of you younger women may have a mother figure in your life who keeps on subtly or not so subtly encouraging you toward becoming a mother as soon as possible no matter how frustrating that advice can feel for you. Some of you have already died to many dreams. Some have experienced a great deal of grief and loss, maybe because of miscarriage or infertility. And now Mother's Day just feels like a lot to deal with because of that. Some moms gave birth to us. Some moms raised us. Some moms we kind of discover later in life. I think it's interesting that in uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 13, 
There's this curious little line as Paul is writing to the Roman congregation and he asks the church to greet one woman in particular and his comment about her is, quote, she has been a mother to me as well. I love that picture of Paul who became a Christian as an adult who's found a mother in the household of faith in another city even. Some mothers give birth to us, some raise us, some we discover in other phases of life. Some of you have a mother figure in your life who is in her retirement years these days. Some of you have a mother figure in your life who maybe is aging, maybe declining, maybe requiring more care. Some have a mother figure perhaps who has passed away and so today brings this kind of weight of emotional memories Some have a mother figure who, for other reasons, maybe just wasn't ever there. Mother's Day can be complicated, and I want to recognize that, and I want to say that here in this community of grace, I hope that taking some time to look at some of the Bible's teaching about moms and women won't make this day more challenging than it needs to be for you. Certainly, that's not my intention. But we're studying the book of Proverbs together. We've been studying it for a number of months. And we're getting to the last chapter of the book of Proverbs, chapter 31. And today we're going to look at just these last four verses that Addie read a minute ago. Some of you may know these verses are the end of kind of a long poem. 22 verses uh, leading up to these uh, these verses. 22 verses long with each line in these 22 verses, beginning with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's an ABC acrostic poem. It's the ABCs of strong womanhood. It's the A to Z of a woman who models wisdom. And in the next few weeks, we'll come back actually to the rest of Proverbs 31 and we'll look at it. But given that today was Mother's Day, I wanted to zoom in on these last few lines at the end of this acrostic poem and consider what God has to say to us in these lines specifically. This morning, um, our family was reading these four verses together and I asked my kids, do you notice a word that is repeated in those verses that Addy read, Proverbs 31, 28 to 31? And one of my kids looked at the text and said, yeah, the word and shows up a lot. (laughs) That's the fun thing about studying the Bible with kids. They see things that you weren't even paying attention to. And it turns out that my child is accurate. The word and shows up more often than any other key words in this passage. But I said, are there any other interesting words that are repeated in this passage? Any other word that is repeated maybe in a surprising way? And another of my kids pointed this out, that in these four verses, we see this repeated word about praising. And what's surprising about the word praise here in this passage is that it is used repeatedly with respect to praising a wise woman. Which is maybe a little bit surprising for one of a couple of reasons. First of all, this is the Bible. 
And the Bible teaches us that the Lord God Almighty, our Creator, is to be praised above all else. He alone is truly worthy of our worship. And so it's a little surprising to realize that while the book of Psalms ends with this kind of, uh, you know, kind of fireworks display of praise the Lord, praise Him, praise Him, praise Him, praise Him, is the way that Psalm 50 concludes the book of Psalms. It's kind of surprising that the book of Proverbs also ends with kind of a firework crescendo, except it's not saying praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It's saying praise it's saying women, it's saying wise women are worthy of praise. Wise women are worthy of praise. Wise women are worthy of praise. It's a little bit surprising given its context in the Bible. And yet our Lord God Almighty, our creator, our redeemer, who alone is worthy of all true and ultimate worship, tells us in his word that wise women are worthy of praise. Now, of course, we're probably using that word praise a little bit differently with respect to another human being than when we use it with respect to God. But God himself has written it that way to get our attention. Maybe he realizes in his wisdom that he needs to get our attention because ever since Adam and Eve plunged humanity into sin and the fall and the effects of the fall, One thing that has happened in generation after generation and culture after culture is that women who are created in God's image, made after His likeness with the dignified task of representing God, who are made in God's image no less than men are. Women who are made in God's image no less than men are in many cultures, generation after generation, are overlooked. We're shamed. We're denigrated. We're looked down upon. And given the way that women made in God's image have been overlooked, shamed, denigrated, looked down upon in generation after generation and culture after culture, God in His wisdom here in the middle of the Bible In the book of Proverbs, which teaches us how to live wisely in his world, he uses this strong language to get our attention, to tell us wise women are not to be denigrated. They're not to be overlooked. They're not to be shamed. They're not to be looked down upon. Wise women are worthy of praise, our God says. I'm glad you said that's well said because I only have one point to make today and I'm going to make that point for a while. So if you weren't impressed with that, it was going to be a long, slow message. (laughs) I am serious. I only have one point to make and that's it. So (laughs) what God's word is telling us is that wise women are worthy of praise. And we're going to look at that and think about that from a few different angles here. First of all, let's just look at how these first four, for, uh, these four verses develop that idea for us, how they explain that idea to us. Verse 28 tells us that a wise woman is worthy to be praised. Verse 28 says she's worthy to be praised by her family. 
And so notice how verse 28 draws us into this idea. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Now, we need to be clear that not all wise women have kids, right? And yet we're dealing with kind of a stereotype here. We're dealing with kind of a representative wise woman, a a fictional character, if you will, who represents wise women, many of whom around the world and across the generations, and many of whom in this room have children. And the picture is that this wise woman's children will rise up and call her blessed. I think we get ourselves a little tripped up on this, though, because we want it to look like the Von Trapp family in The Sound of Music, right? You've seen this film. And so we imagine kids rising up and calling mom blessed when we, like, blow a military ship whistle and the kids all come in and stand perfectly straight shouldered in a row wearing their funky early 20th century outfits you know this row of blonde haired children perfectly descending from taller to shorter all stand there and when called upon step forward and say oh mother thou art blessed amongst all women and then they step back in line and and down through and and if we envision that this is the only way that we will ever feel like our kids are rising up and calling us blessed we're setting ourselves up for disappointment right it may not look like that but the idea that is presented here is an idea that that in that in the life of a wise woman there should be an experience over time There should be an experience of children coming back and declaring she's blessed. Where do kids learn that kind of way of respecting their mom? How do kids learn to treat their mom with that kind of dignity? Now, to be sure, there are different ways for kids to learn how to treat mom with that kind of respect or that kind of dignity. But probably the best way for kids to learn how to treat mom with that kind of respect or that kind of dignity is when kids are growing up in a household where dad is setting a tone and creating a family culture where affirming words are a normal part of life. This is the best or the easiest way for kids to learn how to rise up and call their mother blessed is when they are growing up in a household where conversation at the dinner table is not all criticism of everybody else. Conversation around the dinner table is not all criticism of one another, but conversation around the dinner table regularly involves dad leading the way in saying affirming words about other people there at the table, leading the way and saying affirming words specifically about his wife. Now, we need to pause just long enough to say something similar to what we said a minute ago. Not all wise women are married, right? And yet we've got something of a picture, something of a stereotype here that we're, that we're watching. And in this stereotype of a wise woman who is married with children, not only does she have a relationship with kids that leads to her being declared blessed, she also has a relationship with her husband that leads to him declaring her praises out loud. Now, this passage kind of um, was a bit convicting for me this week. Because, you know, I I like to think that I have a high view of my wife, Katie. I like to think that I have a high view of the women on staff that I work with. I like to think that I have a 
high and respectful view of women in this congregation. And yet as I'm looking at Proverbs 31 verse 28, I'm realizing this passage not only leads me to have high thoughts about my wife, not only to have high thoughts about my mother, not only to have high thoughts about women of faith here in this congregation, it leads me and it challenges me to express those high thoughts out loud. It doesn't let me off the hook at the level of saying, as long as you think nice thoughts about your wife, you're all good. It pushes me a little further than that. It convicts me a little more than that. It helpfully kind of slaps me on the cheek. Does the Word of God do that for you sometimes? It's just a loving little wake-up call in a way. It says, buddy, I'm glad you think highly of your wife. When was the last time she heard that from you? When was the last time your kids heard that from you around the dinner table? When was the last time other women around you heard words of affirmation expressed out loud? Proverbs 31, 28 calls for a certain kind of family culture in which it is normal for words of affirmation to be spoken and specifically a certain kind of family culture in which it's normal for words of affirmation to be spoken about the woman of the house. She's meant to be praised. She is worthy to be praised by her family. And then verse 29 kind of takes the thought a step further. It tells us that this wise woman is not only worthy to be praised by her family, but she is worthy to be praised specifically. Specifically, notice verse 29 is in quotation marks in the ESV. It's in quotation marks in most translations because the simplest way to read verse 29 is this is kind of a miniature transcript of what it sounds like as the husband um, expresses his affirming words about his wife. Her husband also, he praises her, quote, and it sounds something like this. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Notice, by the way, because we're going to need to know this when we get back to other parts of Proverbs 31 uh, in the coming weeks here. The, sometimes when we read this section of Proverbs 31 that begins in verse 10, this acrostic poem about a wise woman, we read that, and especially women can read that and say, that's unrealistic. There has never been a woman who has fulfilled what Proverbs 31 describes as the life of the excellent wife. But it's interesting that Proverbs 31 doesn't read itself that way. Proverbs 31 verse 28 actually uses that, verse 29 uses that same word excellent. And it presumes that many women, many women of faith have lived excellently. Many women of faith have been excellent wives. And so verse 29 recognizes there are many women out there who are worthy of honor. And guys, can I just get your attention for one second and say, let's clue in on that point and let's not miss that one. Many women are worthy of honor. But notice the specificity of this husband's affirmation of his wife. Yes, there are many women who are worthy of honor, but you specifically, you surpass them all. 
Now, sometimes we're going to get tripped up on this a little bit because maybe we have kind of this inner legalist inside of us. This kind of inner, um, you know, kind of uh, falsehood alarm that says, unless I've done a scientifically based, data-driven research project of every woman on the planet and verified that, in fact, my wife surpasses them all, she's not going to get that kind of encouragement. The inner legalist basically says, if you want encouragement in this household, you better earn it. And so the inner legalist says, sure, I'd be glad to say that you are the most excellent around if you prove it to me first. But there's no evidence that the husband has done a global data-driven research project to evaluate and assess every woman's excellence and godliness to come to this point. The issue is that in his life and in his relationship with her, he's seen enough excellence to determine. I've seen more excellence in you than I've seen in anybody else. Day after day, I see excellence. Day after day, I see excellence. Day after day, I see excellence in the way that you live wisely, which leads me to say there are many women worthy of honor, but I have seen more reasons to show honor to you and you specifically than to anybody else. There's a specificity to the encouragement here in verse 29. This woman, this wise woman who is described here is worthy to be praised by her family. She's worthy to be praised specifically and individually for who she is and how she's demonstrated excellence. But verse 30 takes it a step further. This wise woman is worthy to be praised for her depth. Look with me at verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You know what makes for an excellent woman? Our culture tends to focus on the externals. Hebrew culture apparently could drift in the direction of focusing on the externals as well. Probably most cultures have their own way of drifting toward the externals. Saying, sure, a charming woman, that would be excellent. Sure, an attractive woman, that would be true excellence. And yet Proverbs 31, verse 30, gives us a picture of an excellent woman who is a woman of depth. She demonstrates a depth of faith. Fearing the Lord. According to Proverbs chapter 31, a wise woman is not some ditz who is uninterested in theology or incapable of thinking deeply. She's not a woman who simply wants to, uh, wants to focus on the externals and that's all. She is a woman with, a, with depth of soul spiritual depth, depth in her walk with God, such that she is described as a woman who fears the Lord. This is the true source of truly excellent, wise women. It's not found just in the externals. No, her excellence is found in her depth. This woman 
who is worthy to be praised, is worthy to be praised by her family. She's worthy to be praised specifically for who she is. She's worthy to be praised for her depth of soul and depth of spirituality, for her walk with God described as fearing Him. And then verse 31 kind of expands the focus a little bit, and it tells us that she is worthy to be praised out by the city gates. You know, on some phones, there's a feature where you can kind of set up your picture and it gets like, you know, this much of a picture. And then you can press another button and it scopes out a little bit and gets even more. Verse 31 kind of scopes out a little bit. And it tells us that a truly wise woman is not only demonstrating wisdom in her relationship with her husband. She's not only demonstrating wisdom in her relationship with her kids. She's not only demonstrating wisdom within the sphere of her household. She's demonstrating wisdom in such a way that affects the community around her. She has a vocation, a calling, a way of, a way of living wisely that affects her neighborhood, that affects her religious community, that affects the city she lives in. The gates in Hebrew culture were the place where kind of the, the leaders of the city would gather together and discuss important issues. And this woman of wisdom is not described as somebody who only lives out her calling in her own household. She's living out her calling in such a way that when the leaders get together, they say that woman is worthy to be praised because of the effect that she's having here in our community. A wise woman is worthy to be praised by her family out at the city gates. She's worthy to be praised Specifically for who she is. And she's worthy to be praised for her depth of soul before the Lord. There's kind of a question that starts to feel uncomfortable as we look at Proverbs 31 here for a couple minutes. And I think that question sounds something like this. What if you don't have a family to rise up and call you blessed? Or... What if you do have children, but it sure doesn't look like they're on a trajectory toward rising up and calling you blessed any time that you can foresee? What if you don't have a husband to sing your praises? Or what if you have a husband who instead of singing your praises has used his words to tear you down? What if... Nobody in your community has ever recognized or celebrated the wisdom that you are living out before the Lord. Or what if your life has not honestly been characterized by the fear of the Lord? What then? Let me offer a few replies to this important question in light of the rest of Scripture. A first reply is this. Let me remind you of the heart of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. When he was traveling through Samaria, he met a woman by a well at midday. You may know this story from John chapter 4. This woman had had seven husbands. And the fact that she was drawing water at midday hints that she was shamed 
and rejected and treated as unacceptable by the other women in her community. Why else is she going out in the hottest part of the day, in the middle of the day? Unless she's going there at a time intentionally calculated when she won't have to run into other women who might be vicious in shaming her. This is a woman who arrives to her discussion with Jesus with a great deal of baggage. But despite her baggage and despite how others had shamed and rejected her and treated her as unacceptable, she was not unacceptable to Jesus, our Redeemer. Jesus recognized the baggage that she brought with her. He spoke to her directly about those past relationships with men, but he did not dwell on the past. In his grace, he instead invited her into the kingdom. He said to her, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And the result of His invitation, the result of His accepting grace toward this woman who had been rejected and treated as shameful and unacceptable to others, the result of His acceptance and the result of His invitation to worship the Father was that she believed. And not only that, after believing, she went back to that city which had been so vicious to her, and she told others about Jesus. And John 4 tells us many from that village came to believe in Jesus because of her testimony. This is a woman who had been shamed and rejected and treated as unacceptable by others. But if we ask Jesus, is she worthy of acceptance? Jesus says, through her faith, she is. Let me remind you furthermore of the compassion of the early church that represented the heart of Jesus Christ. There's a story in Acts chapter 6 which is told about a group of women from a certain ethnic background, widows, who were being overlooked in the distribution of food that was collected and given out to widows who needed that kind of provision. And get the picture of what we're talking about here. These are widows. They're older women, generally speaking. If they have children... Their children are either unable or unwilling to provide for their own mom. And these women have come to faith in Jesus and they've begun to participate in the church. And yet after being overlooked by their own children, now they're being overlooked by the church itself. The leaders of the church in Jerusalem hear about this problem, how these women from a particular kind of ethnic background are being overlooked in the distribution of food for widows. And this raises a question. These older women, overlooked 
In some cases, by their own family, these older women overlooked and forgotten by the society around them, are they worthy of the church's time and effort and energy? And Acts chapter 6, thank God, shows us that the early church reflected something of the heart of Jesus Christ, something of the mercy of Jesus Christ, something of the compassion of Jesus Christ. And in response to this crisis of women who have been overlooked, women in need who are not paid attention to, they decide to commission seven dignified leaders Seven men commissioned just to make sure that these older women are provided for sufficiently. Most notable among them is Stephen. Probably this is kind of the, the, the origin of where the office of deacons will come from in the story of the church. See, here's the thing. If we go back to the early church and we ask the early church... Are these women worthy? Are these women who have been overlooked and forgotten and passed over by others? Are they worthy, church, of your time, your effort, your energies? The early church lined up with the heart of Jesus Christ. And if asked the question, is she worthy? They looked at each and every one of these forgotten women and said, Because of Jesus, she is. Let's remember the heart of Jesus Christ. Let's remember the compassion of the early church. And let me remind you, finally, of the honor that is to come. 1 Peter 3.7 Peter has a word for husbands. It's a word that I like to bring up in men's fellowship groups sometimes because it's an important, it's an important verse for husbands to pay attention to. In 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter uh, tells husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way, showing honor to their wives. Why? For this reason, quote, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. You hear Peter's perspective? The women in the family of faith. They're living in a culture that looked down on women. They're living in a culture that tended to assume women were kind of second class citizens. They're living in a culture that tended to, that tended to denigrate women. And yet in that culture, Peter says, men pay attention. The women among you are fellow heirs, they are inheriting the kingdom of God just like you fellas. These women who are made in the image of God no less than the fellas are. By grace are recipients of the promise of the kingdom of God just as much as the men. They are fellow heirs right along with you in the grace of life, Peter says. I've shared with you before that um, my favorite novel from C.S. Lewis is not one of the Chronicles of Narnia. So apologies if that hurts somebody's feelings. 
But my favorite novel from C.S. Lewis is a novel called The Great Divorce. Um, I read it while I was engaged to Katie, and I was realizing earlier today that might be why I like it so much. But, um, but, uh, we, uh, but yeah, so this, this, this story is my favorite from C.S. Lewis. It takes place kind of in the imaginary foothills of heaven, if you will. And it takes place shortly before the last day when good and evil, when heaven and hell are finally once and for all time separated from each other. When good and evil, when heaven and hell are finally divorced from one another. It's not about a divorce between people. It's about the divorcing of heaven and hell once for all time. And the main character in this novel is kind of traveling through the foothills of heaven and he's learning about heaven from his guide. And the story is told in the voice of the traveler who suddenly sees this massive processional thundering toward him and his guide. I've read some of this to you before, but I think I'll read a longer version to you than I have before. The traveler says, On the left and on the right, at each side of the forest avenue, came youthful shapes, boys upon one hand and girls upon the other. If I could remember their singing... And write down the notes. No man who read that score would ever grow sick or old. I love that. I love that description. Between them went musicians. And after these, a lady in whose honor all this was being done. The traveler says, is it? I whispered to my guide. The guide interrupts and says, not at all. It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith. The traveler says, she seems to be, well, a certain, a person of particular importance. And the guide agrees, aye, she is one of the great ones. But you've heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. The traveler asks, and who are all these young men and women on each side? The guide explains, they are her sons and her daughters. Well, she must have had a very large family, sir. The guide explains, every young man or boy that met her became her son. Even if it was only the boy that brought a delivery to her back door. Every girl that met her was her daughter. And now the abundance of life she has in Christ from the Father flows over into them. It's like when you throw a stone into a pool and the concentric waves spread out further and further. Who knows where it will end? Redeemed humanity is still young. And yet already there is joy enough in the little finger of a great saint such as yonder lady to waken all the dead things of the universe into life. That's just C.S. Lewis. It's just imagination. It's not the Bible. I get it. But it invites us to dream of what the promise of Proverbs 31 will look like in its fullness in the kingdom. 
It invites us to dream of what the promise of Proverbs 31 will look like in its fullness for women who live their entire lives without ever receiving a fitting word of affirmation from anybody. It invites us to dream of what it will look like when her children rise up and call her blessed. It invites us to dream of what it will look like when her husband too, he will praise her. It invites us to dream of what it will be like when the woman who fears the Lord is to be praised and let her deeds praise her there at those gates. Listen, we live in a world that measures worth And value and dignity very, very poorly. Fame in heaven and fame in this life are very different things. And so women, to the wise women of Redeemer Community Church, I want to have a word with you for a second. And I do believe there are many wise women here at Redeemer Community Church. I want to tell you that my expectation is that, you know, I I hope that, you know, if you're a mom, you received some cute little cards scribbled with markers or something like that today. If you're a mom of older kids, I hope you got a phone call that brightens your day just a little bit. If you're a wife, I hope that your husband speaks affirming words into your life and he doesn't tear you down with his words instead. But listen, wise women of Redeemer Community Church, none of those affirming words, none of those little breakfast conversations on Mother's Day, none of those scribbled cards hold a candle to the glory that is waiting to be revealed on that day. And so to you, the wise women of Redeemer Community Church, I want to encourage you to, con- to continue living wisely, to continue giving life to others with your life, to continue serving others with your life, to continue loving others with your life, to continue setting an example that reflects something of the compassion of our Creator and Redeemer Himself in your household. And in your church family, and in your neighborhood, and in your city, I want to encourage you to keep on going. And even if the encouragement trickles in ever so slowly, even if it feels like they aren't rising up to call you blessed, even if your name is never praised over at City Hall here in this life, I want to encourage you to keep on walking in the way of wisdom and keep on giving life to others and keep on serving others and keep on loving others to the glory of God's name as you anticipate the honor that is to come. As you anticipate that day. You see, if we open the Bible and we ask the Lord about all of these Wise women of Redeemer Community Church, are they worthy of praise? 
Or if we kind of go individual by individual around this room, we're not going to do it because I don't want to embarrass anybody and we're not going to do it because we've got to get home at some point, all right? But if we go around this room, woman by woman, and we just say, is she worthy? Is she worthy? Is she worthy? Our maker, our redeemer, our Lord says by grace and through faith, she is, and she is, and she is. I hope that women of faith, you will walk away encouraged by this snapshot of our Lord's esteem for you. Even though we continue to live in this world that values and measures value and dignity so poorly, I hope you'll go away feeling that. Church family, I hope that we'll go away from these last verses of Proverbs holding the value and dignity of women in high regard. I hope we'll go away from this practicing affirmation, a godly kind of praise for one another. I want to give the last word here to an author named Elise Fitzpatrick. She asks a question, says, what should you see when you see an unbelieving woman? Well, perhaps her sin and shame are evident in her scars, in her actions, in her reputation. Maybe they hide under a thin veil of self-righteousness. But regardless of her external appearance, see a human being who has worth as the image of God. See a woman who is not beyond the grace of God in the saving promises of Jesus Christ. See a woman who may one day shine in glory and rule with Christ the King. And then tell her the Gospel. She asks another question. What should you see when you see a Christian woman? You should not see a snare, a temptation, and a pitfall. You should not see an object of sexual gratification or a threat to power or a crafty usurper. You should see a mother and a sister, a family member in the faith. See someone who, regardless of her past, now wears the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See someone who God has adopted as a child, a fellow heir of the kingdom. Someone who is still commissioned to the necessary help that is needed as we fight against the evil one. See someone who the Spirit of God fills and gifts for service as a blessing to the world, the church, and her home. See a woman who will one day rise from the dead to reign with Jesus forever. Tell her that's who she is. Tell her the Gospel. And so, to the wise women of faith here on this Mother's Day, if we ask the question, are you worthy of praise? I'm sure there's a hundred reasons we can all come up with why we'd rather answer no. But I want to invite you to agree with the assessment of our Maker, our Lord, our Redeemer. Who says, by grace and through faith, yes, you are. At this time, I'd like to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward. And I think Andrew Warman.